Hey, Sentinel Warriors. Thank you for joining us for our very first podcast episode. This is Lieutenant Emily Seaton from 20th Air Force Public Affairs, and you're listening to 2420, where you can get information from 20th Air Force leaders in about 20-ish minutes, delivered on the 20th of each month. This first episode, we divide into two parts. The first part is Major General Mike Litton, Commander of 20th Air Force, with the Wing Commanders and the Helicopter Group Commander, and they discuss their unique paths to leadership, including struggles, mentorship, everything. In the second part, Chief Orff does the same with the Command Chief, so you can get their perspective. Let's go ahead and dive in. Hello, this is Major General Mike Lutton. I'm joining you for 20 for 20, which is a leadership podcast hosted by 20th Air Force leadership teams. We're joined by Colonel Jason Vadioni, the 377th Air Base Wing Commander, Colonel Anita Fugate-Opperman, our 341st Missile Wing Commander, Colonel J.B. Buer, 582nd Helicopter Group Commander, Chris Menaway, our 91st Missile Wing Commander, and Kathy Barrington, our 90th Missile Wing Commander. We also have in the audience Kenny McGee, who's on his way to the 91st Missile Wing, uh, Mark Ritchie, who's our uh, MA, and uh, Barry Little, who is on his way to the 341st Missile Wing. So uh, we're, we're excited to begin this effort and this journey with the Airmen, and, and look forward to getting into talking about the path to leadership. And so I'd throw it out there to uh, Jason Vadioni first. Jason, can you differentiate leadership from command and how those are different? Yes, sir. I would say that the difference between leadership and command is uh, leadership can span from um, your official position um, to informal leadership to just your uh, role or how you are executing your role within your, your organization. Command is specific in the sense that you have been given the authority to execute uh, certain authorities based on G-series orders, what what we'll be used in the Air Force, but in the end, what you do with those authorities, um, when when you include leadership, leading uh, from in front, those are the things that really put teeth behind those authorities that you're given as a commander. So, said a different way, command is a position that you have authority to execute leadership. Whereas for our airmen in Global Strike and 20th Air Force, the expectation is we're leaders and you can develop yourself as leaders. And so JB, when you look at your career, do you remember early on where you were put in a leadership position that really challenged you and and how did you uh, really get after that leadership challenge? The easy answer is is, the first time I was put in command, but I was at a relatively young age. It wasn't a squadron, it was a flight at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was probably not as well prepared as I should have been. Um, I think a lot of that had to do with development and, and not having any kind of deliberate path. That's something that we've been working on in the helicopter community, is establishing a, a deliberate path to those types of positions so, so that you have the tools and the skill sets when you do get there. And specifically talking about um, simple things in, in learning how to write, right. learning how to, uh, how to take care of your airmen in, in their paperwork so that mm-hmm. when they go to a up for promotion that they can compete well. How to write 1206 so you compete at other uh, at various levels. That's something I've taken from that and my unpreparedness in, uh, in, and now I, I focus on really trying to drive that home for my entire command. Do you attribute that challenge that you faced maybe to lack of mentorship and developing you as a leader and can you speak to that how you had mentors or didn't have mentors sure. that, that really put you in that challenging position? Like I had, I got good mentors, but they were, 
I never had like a, a sponsor, someone that followed me throughout my career. I think I had good mentors in the moment. Mm-hmm. Right? So for each assignment, I could probably find one or two individuals that really took me under their wing um, and helped me through that particular assignment. But we never really did a good job of tying multiple assignments together uh, to develop you as as an officer uh, mm-hmm. with with that with the breadth that we would expect from a commander. So I was very typecast, actually. My first three assignments, you know, from Global Strike to, to into AATC in Stanabow, right? So right. I, I was really good at Stanabow, and, right. uh, and, and I, I had a whole lot of depth there, but I didn't know much about being, uh, you know, about money and FM or uh, safety or all the other aspects that you would expect a commander to have at least some understanding of. So we try to be well more rounded now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. K- Kathy, how, how have mentors helped you become a leader? Sir, I... I'm kind of in a similar position as JB. I didn't really have a a single person or somebody who said, I am your mentor, but I definitely had a lot of leaders in the moment and leaders along the way who invested and who steered me in the right direction and people who I could seek out and ask for advice and they would freely give it. So, so I thought that was very beneficial. I had a lot of people along my career uh, give me advice that uh, turned out to not be true. So I'm married mill to mill. Right. I had a couple of people who, in the moment, they're like, hey, I want to give you some really good advice. You both can't be squadron commanders, so figure out which one of you is going to be a squadron commander. Right. Uh, there's no way both of you are going to make it above the r- rank of major. And, and so that was some solid advice at the time that I chose to say thank you and, uh, and bypass. Yeah. <laughs> and rightly so. I mean, Chris, when you look at a mentor, how do you define a mentor? I think it's somebody who is looking out for the improving uh, somebody else. So whether it's peer-to-peer, uh, boss to subordinate, or and it, mentorship can even go from subordinate to, to the boss. That it's, it's having an open communication about how to improve and how to get better from wherever you're at. For the group, I mean, F-15, I'll throw it over to you. How do you talk to your airmen now about the mentor relationship between uh, two airmen? And, and how do you develop that? Because a lot of the airmen may listen to this podcast go, I don't even know how to ask for a mentor. Right? So, like, how, how, how does that happen? So, I had uh, that same question asked last week during a squadron SEL, senior enlisted leader course. And they asked that. And, and sometimes it just develops over time, that relationship. And sometimes it's a little bit more deliberate. If you have a issue or concern, you know, seeking a person out and saying, hey, will you help me out with this? Other times it's, it's a little more organic. You have some sort of relationship that then evolves into looking out for each other. And it's not a subordinate boss necessarily relationship. You can have mentors that are junior to you. And I think that sometimes that's where you get your most valuable development and feedback because you may be hearing and seeing stuff at at your level but you need somebody else that is at the level of who you're trying to reach right as as commanders we work for the airmen Mm -hmm. so you need Mm -hmm. to hear their voice and have them mentor and develop you excellent and and so we talk about leadership along the career path Um, Jason is there a stereotypical career path so a lot of our airmen have this impression they'll look at a, a career field pyramid and you're the career field manager for your career field. So what did you tell your airmen and, and, and you know, is there a stereotypical career path? 
So <clears throat> there are suggested opportunities that, that, that are afforded to you throughout your career. So although many career fields have, hey, these are the things that you should be doing because based on experience, this is, uh, these are the experiences that we would like you to have as you continue to progress in your career and be put in, in positions of increased responsibility and authorities. But that doesn't mean that you need to follow those paths directly. Um, every person is unique, every situation is unique, and everyone brings different gifts and talents to the table. And so we take each individual when, and we, we make sure that we are putting them in positions that they're ready for. We make sure that we are uh, developing them so that they will be ready to assume those uh, positions of greater responsibility. And, probably ask anyone here at the table to talk about what their career path has been and very few of them will likely have followed that single path it's about when you're the individual it's about growing where you're planted um, and when you are the supervisor or you're the commander of the person that you're developing um, it's it's about focusing on cultivating gardens right and not focusing too much time on individual plants making sure that you are developing the whole team that is under your charge uh, based on what they bring to the team. Yeah, now you and I shared a story uh, about who really developed you and who affected you as an airman. Some of our listeners might not know that you were prior service enlisted, and you, you actually served at this wing that you're now a commander of. Sir. So how, how did that journey happen, and who influenced you to get you on the path of becoming an officer? Yes, sir. So I was just very fortunate that my, my very first supervisor in the Air Force, Staff Sergeant Robert O'Gurk, uh, he's now retired Senior Master Sergeant, um, and, and he is uh, now running the IG up at the 5th Bomb Wing for uh, Minot Air Force Base. And just a phenomenal leader. As a Staff Sergeant and as Airman Basic Battione, he was the person that I looked to. He, was, he had um, high standards, and he cared. He didn't uh, just answer your questions, he showed you how to get to the answer to your question. And, and I talked to airmen uh, when they first come in the Air Force, first term airmen, I talked to airmen leadership school students, and I talked to NCOs and NCO PES. Either find your Sergeant O'Gurk or be Sergeant O'Gurk, because clearly what his impact on me, and I didn't necessarily realize it at the time, but many years later, and particularly when he left the organization, I noticed that absence in uh, someone caring, just simply caring about me and the mission and what that impact has made on me. And I'm here 32 years later still talking about him. And, and as far as my transition from in the enlisted corps to the officer corps, back then you had to, when I was doing tuition assistance, you used to have to fill those things out on paper. We didn't have computers in offices. And uh, this this wonderful lady that I got that I got to meet with every uh, semester, Dewana Broussard, out at Nellis Air Force Base. Uh, she just looked at me one day and said, "Have you ever uh, considered becoming an officer? Because I think you'd be great at it." And it was just those simple words from Miss Broussard, where somebody else that believes in you, uh, somebody else that gives you that confidence that there's there's maybe another thing that that you can do, a different way to serve, was all that I needed to my name in the hat and, and see what happens and then here I am yeah so you know the title of this podcast is path to leadership but what we're really talking about is the mentors that one put us on the path to leadership and then keep us progressing as leaders Chris was there ever a point where you were like hey 
th this is not going as planned and you know I may not continue on yes sir as a leader as an airman as an officer uh, there's there's been a couple actually throughout my career and, and usually it was uh, one of my mentors either whether it was a boss at a time or or somebody else that I had worked for calling me to you know kind of either give encouragement or to say hey this is just a phase or a time in your your life um, to where there's there's a light at the end of this tunnel you know diff whether it was a, a difficult job a difficult boss even uh, like coming out of the, the 576 I was being uh, non-volved at the time uh, to, to head to a different location and pure happenstance of bumping into a, a former group commander at the club one Friday to where he's asking me hey what what assignment do you have next well I'm, I'm going to to this location he's like well did you want to go there he's like well initially no and he's like good mm -hmm. you don't want to go there so next thing I know he's stepping in to make phone calls and to, to basically send me to a different location to where I um, ended up going to space command or you know, there was a, a assignment where, you know, I had four different bosses inside of eight months. So a very unique time and challenge uh, in our career field to where, again, getting, uh, getting outside perspectives of how to maneuver through that and, you know, that there was a light at the end of that. Mm -hmm. So, Kathy, you'd mentioned joint spouse and what, what I would call incorrect mentorship that you got. And F-15, I know Don uh, served active duty, and then my wife, Brenda, was active duty. I'd ask the whole group, but I'll start with Anita and Kathy. W one of the things that I've found, and it's been a while since Brenda was on active duty, is the remarkably incorrect information that non-joint spouse leaders give to joint spouse couples. I mean, it's remarkably incorrect. Can you talk about now as wing commanders, how you communicate to joint spouse couples in your wing so they can get to ground truth and, and really continue to serve uh, successfully. Because not only was the person wrong in Colonel Barrington's case, but, but you and Bill went on to be group commanders. Correct. Yeah. Uh, and so what's that, funny that, is I was, I was also the 91 OG. Right, right. <laughs> it was a 91 OG who told me. Oh, that, so that's... So it was kind of cool yeah, to be in his office at yes, one point. <laughs> yes, that, that is. So could you speak to that? I, I will, and, and let me just say that that leader was speaking to me uh, from his heart and from a good place. Right. He was just telling me the way it was, and that was the truth at the time. Right. So the Air Force has done a really good job of evolving. Right. One of the things I tell people when I sit down, and I, I sit down often with Dual Mill, is I will give you advice but things may change, and what I tell you may not be true when you're actually up against the, this moment in yeah. your career. So the best piece of advice I can give is don't make a decision now based on a barrier you have not come up against yet. Right. And the Air Force has drastically improved and emphasized keeping joint spouse military members together. I found that Air Force Space Command, Missile Community, and now Global Strike Command does an incredible job of prioritizing keeping married members together and they were doing that before the Air Force came out and said this is now our policy. Yeah. So our community does a tremendous job of taking care of people. What I tell dual military members is come up with your priorities. As a couple, what's the number one thing you want? What's the number two thing you want? We probably can't get you three. Right. <laughs> but. If, it's, if the job is the most important thing and you're okay with being separated, you have to let us know. 
if you don't want to be separated and you don't mind the location, let us know and, yeah. and we can work with that. Yeah, I mean, uh, said a different way, when I, when I give that type of feedback, it, it's really on that couple to define what success is for them. Absolutely. And, and they have to do that reflection as a couple and go, hey, these are our goals, these are objectives, both personal and professional. F15, what yeah. are your thoughts? I, I would say uh, what Kathy said, very similar advice that I'll give to dual mill couples is to decide what your priority is, but don't let somebody else limit you, and then we can balance from there to, to see how how we can make it happen. At the same time, you need to be realistic, but it's not it's not necessarily different than advice that you give to non-dual mill couples. If you want to be located at a very specific location that doesn't have very many jobs, then you have to think of what the trade-off is. Is it that you might not be able to be stationed together? Then how do we how do we balance that? But as Kathy said, I think the missile community does a fantastic job of doing everything that they can to keep a couple together, assuming the couple wants to, to be together, if they're willing to do trade-off maybe for different IDE opportunities or something along those lines. There are some other career fields that sometimes put, I feel like, filling the position ahead of keeping the couple together, and that's, that's a retention tool. Right. If, if, you, right. if you can't keep couples together, then you're gonna get to the point where you have to make a, a trade-off. And is a trade-off your military career, or sadly, is the trade-off your relationship? Yeah, that, before we go on, I, I think it's also important to underscore, there's many options, and Kathy, we've all talked about this, our service is completely different than when I came in yes. uh, 31 years ago. I mean, I didn't know anything about the reserve when I, when I came in 31 years ago. And a mentor of mine, uh, General Robinson, uh, her and her husband, I mean, she was a four-star combatant commander, her husband was a two-star. Not that rank indicates success, but there was never a barrier for them in serving. It was just how they define success, and her husband was in the reserves, uh, and she stayed active duty. So I, I think, you know, Pam Lincoln is a great example of that. Pam and TJ Lincoln, if you remember them. Okay, super. Hey, you know, looking back, JB, on your career, what do you know now that you wish you knew? Uh, and knowing that this podcast is only 20 minutes. All right. We'll keep it limited to one then. Yeah. Uh, for me, uh, I'll keep, keep it simple. The, uh, the building is always on fire. And right. uh, it took me a while to realize that. And if you, if you try to stay until everything is out and everything is good, you will, you will run yourself and, your, and your, your staff around you into the ground. So there's always going to be smoke. There's always going to be some fire. I think recognizing when the mission's on fire, your people or you yourself are on fire, then by all means stay a little late and get that get that taken care of. But there there are times where you've got to walk away and uh, and we'll, we'll hit it again tomorrow. We got to right. go back. We got to uh, rest up and, and hit it again fresh in the morning. So it took me longer than probably it should have to realize that, but uh, but I eventually did get there. Yeah. So for, for the for the table, and we'll just kind of go around. We'll start with Chris, but that really speaks to how you have balance in your in your life and your career as a leader, and and that's really independent of any rank. So so what do you, Chris, do to make sure you have balance in your life? A lot of it is, is checking in with Tanya. I think uh, my my spouse is one of the biggest determiners of how am I how am I doing. I mean, there's lots right. of people around me, but she's the one that knows are things going well or not. Am I 
at home enough with the family enough and uh, I've always uh, thought that you know our biggest role is to replace us uh, with yep. other leaders but if uh, if nobody wants to be us we're doing it wrong yeah Kathy how about yourself sir it's the time at home recharging the batteries with the family yeah. that's that's how I maintain the balance and okay. try to be as in the moment as possible when I'm at work I'm at work when I'm at home try to be at home yeah purposeful yes sir yeah JB yourself so I, I don't want to differ too much from the rest of the world but yeah. I, I think work-life balance is a misnomer yeah I think uh, and to steal some, some words from a, a friend of mine and classmate if we are under the misperception that balance means that they're equal and, mm -hmm. and they they're not and they probably shouldn't be so to me it's about figuring out what's important to you and not are all those things equal right I, but did I do those things today right mm -hmm. so for me I, I use uh, love live laugh uh, lead and labor right so did I work today yeah labor I've worked really hard I led some airmen but I didn't laugh today I'm gonna call a friend tonight and we're gonna tell some stories just so that that's happened right and I can go right. yeah I did those things right so you don't lose track of what those priorities are yeah. so but they are nice. they're harmonized I would argue probably not balanced okay so first thing I do in the morning is I work out so it's it's something for myself because I feel like I can't give to others if, if I don't take care of myself and I'm, I'm a much nicer person if I've gotten a workout in and the other part is I, I don't think I do as well but I should on when I'm home I'm home so Don and I don't have children so I think in my mind it's easier to just say well you have to we have dinner then I can go back to doing work or do do whatever so it's it's intentionally making mm -hmm. sure that we have a connection with each other not just hey thanks for dinner all right now let's go back our separate ways and, and just to ask a follow-on to that i mean do you have to be intentional about that because there's so many demands on you as a leader and a commander as a senior officer that to jb's point mm -hmm. if it's not harmonized it's always second or third on the priority list and so, so how do you, how do you, no kidding, get after that? So first off, like JB said, you know, you're never going to put the fire out, right? Right. So I know when I need to go home, and if, unless there's something that it, that is forcing me to stay at work, because you could stay so much longer right. and finish out this task and do this task, do this task. So even though I feel like I haven't finished everything, uh, Dan Voorhees, who's my vice, and I will decide. All right, we've gotten to the point where. We can't do anymore. Let's go home, and then we will force each other out of the office, and then okay. we can go home, and then we can be with our families, have a have a nice meal. Don and I have dinner together every night. Okay. So. Jason, and not surprisingly, not much different from what all the other leaders have, have mentioned here. And to pull that thread a little bit more on what JB was saying, I I don't use the word balance either. I I, I use the word. Per, Proportionality, and I stole that from a, a previous supervisor where sometimes the Air Force, just what's going on right now, demands more of my attention. And as long as I communicate that at home and, and be able to pay ourselves back, and, uh, and, and so that's, that's the proportionality of, of, of trying to make sure that um, you know, I am present uh, when I am with family um, and, and, uh, and, and making sure that I am spending time at work. It's it's meaningful um, at work, and it's something that I that I have to do. Um, and then, particularly with my personality, uh, you know, sometimes you gotta. I 
have to be careful to make sure that I don't let uh, the perfect get in the way of good enough. Mm -hmm. So we'll kind of wrap up this podcast on the path to leadership. And I'll start by talking to Chris Menaway, the 91st Missile Wing Commander. Chris, if you're talking to airmen across 20th Air Force, what I heard today is a uh, path to leadership requires mentors. A path to leadership requires the identification of professional and personal goals. A path to leadership also requires some harmonization of work life. And so when you're talking to your lieutenants, what's the message that you leave them as they begin uh, their path to leadership? I think it's uh, at the end of the day having a heart and a passion for others. Um, it's, it's wanting to uh, make sure that you help somebody else be the best that they can be to achieve their personal goals, their professional goals, and for us uh, in the Air Force, you know, and at, at the wings, our, our stated mission sta uh, statements, but yeah, it's, it's just that hard for others. At 15, your thoughts? Say, so there's no one path to leadership, so it, it goes in, in many different directions, but I think you're only truly a leader when, when you are looking to serve others and do what's best for the airmen. If you're doing this job so you get your next paycheck, then you, you stop being a leader and you've just been whatever rank or position that you're holding. JB. Sure, I'll triple down on that. It's, uh, it, it's, that's something that you're intrinsically motivated with, to, to put the needs of others before yourself, right? That's, that's the nature of, of a leader. That's not something I can necessarily teach. We can talk about it, but either you, you got that or, or, or you don't. We can talk about the, the other pieces of it, but that part I can't, I can't teach you. Okay, Jason. Yeah, for me with the, you know, I, I, I think of um, leaders that I've worked for and I've been very fortunate to, to work for uh, a lot of great leaders. And, and as I was trying to develop uh, my own and hopefully execute leadership at the best of my ability, emulate some of those things and how they made me feel. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and particularly, I can't tell you about any of those leaders what their goals were and what their interests were because they always seemed to be interested in me. Um, and so I, I always try to keep that at the forefront uh, of my mind as, as, as I go through trying to be a, a leader for others. Okay, Kathy. So I, I appreciate the opportunity to make a difference. And I have seen some of our most junior members in the wing make tremendous impacts in other people's life. And that's what makes a leader are you able to make a difference for somebody else and I've seen some very junior people do it and it is incredible to watch awesome so I think it's been a, a really wonderful opportunity to kick off this inaugural podcast and, and no doubt with world situations the way they are whether it's in the Indo-Pacific or in the UCOM theater our Air Force and 20th Air Force uh, needs leaders I know the leadership team hopes this podcast was helpful in, in our uh, leaders setting off on their path to leadership thank you Again, thank you so much for listening to our first episode of 2420. Now that you have heard about some of our commander's experiences, be sure to check out part two with the Chiefs, who have an even more diverse set of experiences, one even separated from the Navy and years later joined the Air Force. Great stories. Make sure to check it out, and we'll see you next time.